Welcome to our podcast here at Encounter Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged, but changed. Our desire is to be a place where life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. If you're in our area, join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. and every first Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. For more information about our church, you can visit us at EncounterChurch.today or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Periscope. Just search eChurchBR. We invite you now to open your hearts to receive what God has for you. Here's today's message. Father, we thank you so much that we've stepped into a place of life, love, and purpose. God, and not just any life, but life through knowing you. And God, I pray today that we would know you in a greater way. God, I pray that we would, God, understand your truths today in a greater way. God, I pray that we would realize the awesome gift that your word is to us today. And God, you would help us to defend that word, God, and to speak your truth, God, with a new confidence. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Shout amen. High five someone around you and say, man, is that your breath or mine? Come on Well, that will get you right there, huh? Come on. Come on. You all went quiet on me. Is that because it was your breath? No, I'm any flame. Wow, wow. It's great to have fun in church, isn't it? And I enjoy God and what he's doing. And I'm being totally pumped. I've just got to be real. I've been totally pumped about this message today. Every Sunday, I love to be able to have the privilege to be able to speak. But today's message, I just think, is, is just a special message that you, you've got to grab a hold of. You've got to grasp and you've got to... And by the way, incidentally, I was going to buy lunch. Seriously, I was going to buy lunch for people who sat on the front row today. So if you did not sit on the front row in church right here, you missed a free lunch from Pastor Philip. So, so next Sunday, if that's empty, I would come up here. I can't guarantee lunch every week, but there may be something for you. And so seriously, was going to buy lunch for whoever sat on the front. And it's too late, too late. You, if you come up the front now, you have to buy me lunch. So there you go. And, um, but you need to get up the front. Come on, we pay big money in sports events to get on the front row because we want to be there in church while we hide now at the back. I see you all at the back. Come on, get up the front. But I've really been excited because there's a big question today. And here's the big question. Are you ready? Can the Bible be trusted? I mean, can we really trust the Bible? There's so much out there today screaming no. There's so much out there deceiving us to believe it cannot be. A lot of people are saying, oh, it's a good book. It's got good principles. It's got some good truths in there. But it's not God's book. That's what they're saying. But they're wrong, and I'm going to show you how wrong they are today. And I'm going to show you today how you can defend God's Word and how you can know that the Bible can be trusted. We've got a lot of information to cover today, so I'm not going to take too long to recap. But the first message in this series, we talked about building your life upon God's Word. If we're going to read God's Word, we need to read it by faith. How do we get faith? By revelation. How do we get revelation? By meditating, by reading God's Word, the truth that it wants to be for our life. Last week, we talked about understanding God's Word, how it's written in groups, not chronologically. So when we read through the Bible, it it jumps around a little bit because chronologically, it's written in a different way in groupings. We, We discovered that Jesus is the subject of the Bible. The verb is give. So because of Jesus, now we are to give. 
the example he gave to each and every one of us. And, and we need to read our Bible to find Jesus in there because he's the subject and he's in there. Look at the scripture again from 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. And it says, all scripture, the whole Bible in other words, is God breathed. That's inspired. Say with me, inspired. God moved upon men as they wrote that. He inspired. He breathed it into them. But for what purpose? So it can be useful. It is God breathed and is useful. The King James says profitable. It is profitable for your life. Come on, say with me useful. Useful for teaching me. It's useful for rebuking me. I need to be rebuked sometimes. It's what useful for correcting me and training me to do good in righteousness, to live a godly life. In other words, God's word works for every area of your life. You want a better marriage? Read God's word. You want to know how to manage your finances? Read God's word. You want to know how to be a better friend, a better person, period. Read God's word because it is useful for your life. Verse 17, so that you, the servant of God, as we read God's words, come on, we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work, that we would be equipped, we would be trained, we would be prepared, we would be ready. How? Through reading God's Word, you're going to be ready for what comes next. I don't know what's out there for for you tomorrow, but God does. And you can be equipped and ready through God's Word to face any challenge and every storm and every trial that you could ever face in your life. And that's important. And that's why we want you to love it, learn it, and to live it. That's what we want. The Bible is something we need to love, to learn, to live. And we want to love it, learn it, and live it. Look at the scripture from Matthew 24, 35. It says this, heaven and earth will pass away. In Revelations, if we read the earth and heaven, things are going to change. Things are going to shift. Things are going to be rearranged. But my word will never change. Come on, God says my word will never pass away. It will never change. And let me say it this way, because it never needs to change. I need to change because I'm not perfect. I need to change because I'm not right all the time. But God's word is perfect. God's word is right. And therefore, that's why it doesn't need to change. Today, I'm going to teach you what is labeled as apologetics. Apologetics is really just a big word that is used to say how you defend God's word. And I want to just go on record from the beginning. I'm not an expert in this. I'm not standing up here. I had to study hard and and study behind people today to be able to produce and, and to bring this message But there is great resources out there that we have available. Josh McDowell is probably one of the best resources when it comes to apologetics. If you want to learn more, he's got a great book out there that's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And you can get that on Amazon. You can get an audio book. You can get it in paperback, hardback, whatever. And that's a great investment. If you like this kind of stuff and you want to learn more about it, that's a great book there for you. And I think that would be a great summer or fall small groups subject right there. 
Wow, someone could take that and teach that in the fall. If you're interested in that, then come to small group training and you can teach a group on that in the fall. That would be phenomenal, wouldn't it? To learn more about how we can defend God's word. But today I'm going to give you seven reasons why the Bible can be trusted. And really, each one of them on their own is enough. But we're going to give you seven reasons why the Bible can be tested and proven to be true. And I hope you're taking notes. Follow on you version because all of these notes are on there. Number one, the Bible is historically accurate. It is historically accurate, meaning this, that it has been proven true through history. That the events, the stories, the things that we read of that actually have taken place, it's documented that people historically have recorded this. You see, God's Word is not just a book of principles. It's real stories. Come on, Noah really went in the ark. That's not just a principle and just an illustration. That happened. Daniel was in the lion's den. Jonah was in the belly of the whale and delivered Nineveh. Great stories, great principles, but they're real stories in God's Word. And God's Word tells us that. Look, Psalms 33 verse 4, For the Word of the Lord is right and true. It's not just right. It's not just good principles. It's true. It is true. He is faithful in all He does. In order for something to be historically correct, it has to pass three tests. And these aren't Christian tests. These are tests of the world. So if something historically wants to be labeled, put in a history book, it has to pass these three tests. And here they are. Number one, there has to be eyewitness accounts. It just cannot be hearsay, well, someone told me that they saw this. It has to be physically seen by someone by themselves who witnessed it firsthand. And most of the Bible is written that way. Come on, we hear of the Red Sea. Why? Because Moses wrote that because he saw God part the Red Sea. That was an eyewitness account. He saw the the sea close back over the Pharaoh's army. He was able to write that because he didn't hear it from Joe Bloggs down the street. He saw it with his own eyes. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What are they? They are eyewitness accounts. The same story just seen in their way. Eyewitness, they saw it with their eyes. And there's no contradictions there through what they saw. So the first test, it has to be witnessed personally. The second test is this. Was it recorded and copied with extreme care? Can it be backed up? Can it be supported? It's amazing. The Jewish scribes who recorded the Word of God had the highest standards of recording history than any other group in the entirety of the history of the human race. And I believe that was God's perfect timing. That God brought His Son right there at the right time so the best record-keeping group would be present to be able to transcribe, to be able to write down. In fact, they were so thorough in their scribing and in their translating and in their writing that they wouldn't just go to the Word, they went to the very letter. The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. They actually knew what the middle letter was in each one of those books. 
So when people would be copying it down because they didn't have printing presses, they didn't have Xerox copiers, they had to do it by hand. So when a scribe would be meticulously copying out the scripture, when he would present his finished piece, they would find that center letter. And what they would do is they would count forward and they would count backwards. And if it didn't perfectly match up, they didn't say, go and check it, get some white out, erase something. They would rip it up, throw it out, and that person would have to meticulously go through it again. It had to be thoroughly perfect. And here's how thorough they were. In the late 1940s and the early 1950s, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And on these records that they found, they found that the translations that the, the, the scribes had did were matched absolutely perfect to what they found. So it has to be recorded And copied with extreme care. The third thing is this. Can it be archaeologically confirmed? You can talk about anything, but if there's not proof. Can we find physical proof? And they are still excavating today in biblical areas. And every excavation, every dig that they have done, they have proven over and over again of different nations and different places and different, never contradicting the Bible. In fact, as I studied, there was one particular group called the Hittites. They were a nation that they never could discover. They never could find any record of them, so it made almost the Bible look like, man, there's a glaring hole right here. But you know what? In the early 1900s, They finally discovered this area, this people. And when they unearthed and unveiled, they found that they were the Hittite nations, a lost people that had been found that fully backed up Scripture archaeologically. So historically, the Bible passes the test with flying colors. Number two, the Bible is scientifically accurate. Let me ask you a question today about science. What do we know about science and the practice of science through the years? Well, here's what we know. It's changed. Scientific methods, calculations, medical ways, they have changed through the years. Even now, just as parents, man, how we were brought up as kids and and how things were told. You know, if you burn yourself, you rub butter on it. That's what they used to tell you. But scientifically now, medically, they're like, no, no, don't do that. What do we know about science is this. It is constantly evolving. So what they thought once was so true and they wrote books about it and here's their thesis and, and here's their theories and wow, this is incredible, now has to be corrected. Poor Pluto's not even a planet anymore. But they swore he was at one time. You see what I'm saying? It changes, ever changes. And in most cases, science, medicine, those things have drastically changed. But not the Bible. Psalms 148 verse 5 and 6 says, Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for He issued His commandments and they came into being. He set them in their place forever and ever, and His decree will never be revoked. Come on, He created those things. He set them in place, 
And the way God did those and the way he describes them in the Bible, it will never have to change. Science does, but the Bible doesn't. The science of the day was different, but God's word still did not even need to change scientifically. Now, the Bible is not a science book. So it doesn't contain a lot of scientific information. But I'm telling you, it is still scientifically accurate. Look at this. In 1861, and you can do research when you go home, the French Academy of Science said, hey, here's what we're going to do. They came up with 51 incontrovertible scientific facts that prove that the Bible is wrong. That big word for that they disputed and they said it's denied. But there was no way. They came up with 51 reasons why scientifically the Bible was wrong. Since 1861, I just want to tell you that every one of those has been converted and proven to be actually true. So everything they disputed now has been turned on head. So everything that they tried to say wasn't true has now been made to be true. So every one of their masterminds that they came up with is completely wrong. But perhaps more about what the Bible says about science, maybe we can learn more about what the Bible doesn't say about science. And let me explain that. Think about what the science thought was. The science of the day when the Bible was written. Here's some examples. The earth was flat. That's what they believed. They believed that the earth was flat. It wasn't until Christopher Columbus, what was it, in 1492, somewhere around there. Come on, when he proved and he went on a sailing trip and he didn't fall off the edge. They thought you would fall off the edge of the ocean. But he proved that the world was actually round. But guess what? If they would have looked at the Bible, the Bible has always said that. Look at Isaiah 40 verse 22. God sits above the circle of the earth. Come on, circle in Hebrew there is sphere. Guess what word we get from sphere? Globe, hello. God sits above the globe of the world. But man didn't know that. Man did not know that when they wrote the Bible. The science of the day was it was flat. So you would have thought if man would have written the Bible, it would be in there. But guess what? The reason why it's not recorded is because God wrote his word, not man. Here's another scientific thought from the Bible times, the belief of that day. They believed that the earth had to be held up. That's why you'll see the Greeks have a picture of Atlas. Have you ever seen that man holding up the earth? That's what they believed, that the earth had to be held up on his shoulders. The Hindus of that day believed that the earth had to be held or it was placed on the back of an elephant who, t- who stood on top of a sea turtle, who stood on top of a sea serpent, who swam through the ocean. That's what they believed. What about the Egyptians? Man, we still see their creations today and the pyramids, the mastery, the minds that they had. But the Egyptians believed that the earth had to be held up by five pillars. And amazingly enough, Moses was trained by the Egyptians. 
He was taken out of the Nile. He was brought into Pharaoh's house. He was taught and trained in the way of Egypt and what they thought. So he would have been taught that, that the earth is held up. But that's not what he wrote in the books that he wrote. Come on. You don't see it in any of his writings. Why is that? Because he didn't write it. But God. But guess what? It shows up in the Bible. In the oldest book of the Bible, Job, we see it. Job 26 verse 7. He stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. On nothing. Wow. The NIV version says he suspends the earth over nothing. We know that to be true now, but the science of that day didn't. Here's another one. That the number of stars could be counted. That's what man believed. In fact, Hipparchus in 150 BC, he said, I I, I can count the stars. He said, there's 1,022 of them. (laughs) 1,022 stars. 300 years later, Ptolemy came along and he said, oh my, you are off by four. There was actually 1,026. Man, you are way off. You are way off. But yet Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 33 verse 22, and as the stars of the sky cannot be counted and the seashore Cannot, and the sands on the seashore cannot be measured. Man would have known this, but scientifically they thought they could count. They're still discovering stars right now. It wasn't long ago I turned on and they found this whole new area that they'd never seen before with these telescopes. But God's always said that my stars are... You can't count them. Even with medical science, there's been constant modifications and beliefs. Here's what they used to believe. Are you ready? Too much blood made you sick. What they would do is they would actually put you through bloodletting, where they would cut you and bleed you if you were sick. I I found out this when I studied. The first president of the United States of America died through bloodletting. It was the third time that they had done it to him, and he passed away because they believed that there was sickness, there was disease that was in. So if you took that blood out, then everything. What do we teach now? What do we know from medical science? If you're sick, they give you blood. They give you a transfusion. And they would have known that if they would have just read God's word. Because Leviticus 17 verse 11 says, For the life of the body is in its blood. There's life in your blood. But why wasn't these things, the science, the medicine of the day, why wasn't it recorded in the Bible? Because man did not write it. God did. So the Bible is scientifically accurate. And scientists have proven and tried over and over to prove it wrong, and they have failed every time. Here's the third one. Are you with me today? Is this okay? The Bible is prophetically accurate. Think about it this way. If man were the author of God's Word, he would run great risk to include prophecy. Because you can turn around and say right now, it's not going to rain tomorrow, but you don't know that. You can't prophesy that. And if it rains tomorrow, guess what happens? You were wrong. 
So man had great risk if he would have written God's word to add and put in prophecy. And we're not just talking a couple of odd prophecies here and there. Do you realize the Bible has over 1,000 prophecies in it? And 300 of those were in reference to Jesus Christ alone. Now, stay with me and listen to me. I know this is kind of a little bit of history too. The last prophecy of Jesus was 400 years before he was born. We're not just talking about weeks before. We're not talking about someone sitting with Mary and saying, man, you're having a baby, where are you going to deliver that? Oh, in Bethlehem. Oh, he's going to be delivered in Bethlehem. And then the next week that happens. The last prophecy written of Jesus 400 years before he lived. That would be like someone today coming over on the Mayflower and knowing everything about your life and predicting what was going to happen, but they wouldn't even know who you were because you didn't even exist till centuries later. And the prophecies about Jesus weren't just like he was going to be cool and he was going to have brown hair and he was going to be this. They were very specific. Come on, they specifically said where he was going to be born. They said where he was going to live. They said what he was even going to ride on into Jerusalem. And it wasn't a Harley Davidson, you know what I'm talking about? It was going to be a donkey that he was going to ride on. It even told and foretold of his crucifixion. And listen to this. David talks about his crucifixion. And this is centuries before crucifixion was even invented. Crucifixion didn't even come in until the Roman times. So David writes of him being pierced on the cross. Centuries before even that was created. How? Man could not do that. But only God. You can research this. Peter Stoner in Science Speaks is what it's called. He brought together 600 researchers, experts in probability to determine the actuality or the probability of the prophecies of Jesus being probable. Okay? How can he fulfill these things? He brought researchers. And these weren't spiritual people. These were people from the world that were experts in their field. And he brought them together. And if we were to illustrate probability to you, if I had a bucket right now and there was ten balls in it and one was marked with a cross, the probability of you picking out that ball marked with a cross would be what? One in ten. That's the probability. One in ten. So what they looked at is they looked at what would be the probability of a person to see the fulfillment of the prophecies that we read of. And they began by just looking at eight specific prophecies of Jesus. Just eight. Remember there was 300 and they looked at just eight. And here's what they concluded. Look what they concluded. One person fulfilling eight prophecies is one in ten to the 17th power. Now you can see that number there. It's one with 17 zeros behind it. Now that looks like a big number, but can I tell you how big that number really is? If you were to take every letter from that number and you were to change it into a silver dollar, you would not find a building on this earth that would be big enough to house every one of those dollars. In fact, 
you would need the state of Texas. Two feet deep. That's the size of that number of silver dollars. The state of Texas. And then you were to take one of those silver dollars and mark it with a cross or mark it with a color. Put it in the middle of Texas or wherever you want. Stir it up and then get someone to get in a helicopter. Fly over blindfolded. Tell you when to stop. Let you down in a rope. Dig around or just grab and say, here it is. That's the number for eight prophecies to be fulfilled. And he didn't just fulfill eight. He fulfilled all 300. 300. Come on, why? Because it's not written by man, but it's written by God. They went on to do what would be the probability of 16 and 32. And the number got so big that you have to build in atoms and electrons because it is so big, the probability. Why? Because man did not do it. God did Second Peter 1.21, For prophecy never had its origin in human will. But prophets, men sat down. Come on, but, but prophets through humans spoke from God as they were carried along. Prophets, though humans, sorry. Spoke from God as though they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Man could not have done that. But God did. Jesus in his life fulfilled all the 300 prophecies. There are still prophecies of the Bible yet to be fulfilled and the end times. But there's no way that man could get that right. I'm telling you right now, it actually takes more faith to believe that they didn't happen than what it does to believe they did happen. So when people say, oh, I just don't have faith, then no, no, you've just got the wrong faith because it takes more faith to dispute the fact that Jesus lives than it does to believe that he actually did. So the Bible, prophetically, is accurate. Number four, the Bible is thematically unified. That word thematically in the dictionary says, in a way that relates to subject or theme of something. So in other words, the Bible is unified in its theme, in its subject, what it talks about. I talked about this Some last week. But what do we know about the Bible? The Bible was written over a 1,600-year period. Come on. It was written in a dozen different countries, over three different continents, in three different languages, by over 40 different people. It was impossible for them over a 1,600-year period to collaborate to research, to come together. You couldn't go to the library and pull the latest edition off and then just say, well, I'm going to write the next one. You couldn't Google it. You couldn't research it. You couldn't pick up the phone and call them because that was impossible. But yet the Bible still has the same theme without contradiction. Luke 24, 27, this is Jesus. It says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them, All the scriptures and the things concerning himself. I said this last week. What scriptures did he have reference to? The Old Testament. The Old Testament was all the scriptures that they had at that time. But what were they pointing to? Jesus. Because you can find Jesus in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Because in fact the Old Testament is all types and shadows of Christ. 
pointing towards Christ. So how could this happen? How is that possible? Here's the reason it's possible, because there were 40 writers, but only one author. And that author was God as he breathed upon them. So the Bible thematically is unified. Check. Here's another one. And this is more for us as Christians. Number five, the Bible was trusted by Jesus. Some people don't trust Jesus. They're like, man, well, I just don't trust the Bible. Hopefully you trust Jesus. Hopefully you've given your life to Jesus. So therefore, it's a good place to say, well, what did Jesus trust and give his life to? Because I want to follow him. Jesus trusted the Bible. When he was here, he, he spoke of it as God's word. He quoted it. He lived it. He fulfilled it. So if we're really going to love him, then I believe that we've got to love and trust what he loves and trusts and what he believes. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew five eighteen: For I truly tell you that until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything in my word is what he's saying is accomplished. Everything I have spoken will be accomplished. The world is changing, but God's word remains the same. Here's what we've got really good at doing, and it bothers me. And I know I've got to watch it in my life too. We've got so good at trying to change God's word to fit into our lives. To make it fit into what we think and what we feel. Oh, well, God doesn't really say that and all this. Where His Word is the only thing that will truly bring change in our life. And the only way that we'll see true change is when we fit into God's Word. Not try and get it to fit into our lives. Do you see that? And so we've got to trust God's Word. Because then it will work. When we trust it and live it and believe it, then it will work. Look at this statement from Pastor Chris Hodges. I love this statement. If you believe what you like in the Bible, but don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible you trust, it's yourself. And so it's either true or it's not. Come on, I hear this all the time. Well, I'm just not personally convicted about that. Can I talk about personal conviction for a second? I believe in personal conviction in this way. It's personal because it's for you. But I don't believe it personal in this way that it's by you. Let me explain that. Personally, it's for you, but it's not by you. What do I mean? You don't get to write what you think it is and what it should be. It's a personal conviction that comes to you. But listen, the conviction is the same. Well, I'm just not personally convicted of that, and that doesn't bother me. Well, that's your problem, not what God's Word says. That's what your choice. So really, it's more than a personal conviction today. It's really become a personal choice. We choose what we are convicted about, and what we're not, we just push aside. So we've got to be really careful when it comes to God's Word. You don't get to write it. He did. But you know what you do get to do? You get to trust it. Here's the next thing that we see. The Bible has survived all attacks. There has never been a more published, written, read, spoken of book than the Bible. But there has also never been such a persecuted and attacked book of the Bible. Even when Hitler was at rule in Germany... They would make all the Bibles and they instructed every Bible and they burnt Bibles in the streets. It was not allowed. Everything through history has tried to destroy the Bible. Yeah, that's 
to take it out. Even fires that destroyed scrolls and things. Everything through history has tried to destroy the Bible. But it has survived. But here's the real question to ask yourself is this. Why is it so attacked? Why is that? Because the devil doesn't want you to know its truth. I say this all the time. Circling buzzards means there's some fresh meat. If the devil's out to destroy something, it's because there's something of value that first needs to be destroyed. And the devil doesn't want you to know its truths, but nothing or no one can stop it. They have trialed, tried and they have failed. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, for all people are like the grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass will wither and the flowers will fail. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Come on. His word will endure forever. So here's a great question for you. And I pray that you have the right answer. What's going to be the final authority in your life? Is it the word? Or is it the world? Come on, what's going to be the final authority? What are you going to build your life upon? Are you going to build it upon what the world says? Because I'm telling you right now, the world has changed some laws. They've shifted some things and changed. We don't like how marriage looks, so we'll just change some laws and and we'll just mess it up here and there. When it comes to your decisions in life, we've got to turn around and say this, God, you're right and maybe I'm not. And so therefore, I need to change because your word will never change. Do you see that? Come on, the laws of this land may change, but I've made a decision in my family, in my home, in this church. God's word is still the absolute truth to me. I'm almost done. You good? A lot of stuff. Man, this is powerful stuff you need to know today. The last one. The Bible has transforming power. The Bible has transforming power. No other book can lay claim to the transforming power that the Bible has. And you know what I like about this one? You can put it to the test. You can put this to you. Oh, I don't believe that. Put it to the test. Well, how do I test it? Read it. Read it, read it, read it, read it. I believe every one of us has got 15 minutes a day. And in 15 minutes a day, here's what we can do. We can do five minutes of worship. We can do five minutes of prayer. And we can do five minutes of Bible. I mean, every one of us is able to do that. And I'm telling you, 15 minutes will change your life. And the first thing that's going to begin to change is 15 minutes is start going to be 20 minutes. And it's going to be 25 because you're going to fall in love with it. And you're just going to want more and more and more and more. But there's nothing perhaps that will transform your life than God's Word. Why? Because it's the manual for life. When you buy anything today, there's an instruction book. Life came with instructions. It's God's words. Look at this statement. Complaining you get nothing from God when your Bible is closed is like expecting a text when your cell phone is off. Now, you can quote that, but that's not me. I heard that this week. I can't remember the person who quoted it. I just turned on the TV and it was on. 
But complaining you get nothing from God when your Bible is closed is like expecting a text when you're so. But you know what happens when you turn your cell phone on? The texts come in. So I'm telling you, if you start opening the Word of God, come on. Instruction's going to start coming in. Truth's going to start coming in. Power's going to start coming in. Come on, healing's going to start coming. Blessing's going to start coming. Come on. I want you to make a commitment. Here's what I, here's what I ask. G- give us a year of your life. And I know that can sound a long time, but I'm asking, give us a year of your life. Come to church every Sunday. Read the Word. Come on, be involved. Get in a small group. Give it. If you're going to do it, then go all in and just do it. Put it to the test. And listen, if after a year it doesn't work for you, you come back and, and man, I'll, I'll close the doors of our church and I will never preach a message again. Did you hear me? If it doesn't work for you, but I'm telling you, I know it does work. And so if you would just put it to the test if you would just live it and just breathe it and speak it. In fact, I can tell you what's going to happen right now. You ready? You'll never be the same. You will never be the same. And you are going to love the new you. And if you think you love the new you, ask your spouse about that. They're going to love it. Ask your kids about it. Ask your parents. Ask your boss. Every Because your life will be totally changed. You can come back, band. Look at this scripture, John 8, 31, 32. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples. Band, can they, are they him? You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. But notice this, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We like to read verse 32. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's true. But notice verse 31. Come on. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. The NIV version says if you hold on to my teachings. If you don't let them go. Here's what they'll do. They'll bring freedom to your life. You see today God's word is true. It can be proven and it has been proven to be true over and over and over again. We've gone through seven tests today. And every one of them, anonymously, say the same thing. True, 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 true. It's truth. It's God's Word. It's not what man could do. And why would man want to See prophecy fulfilled. Why would man want all these things? Because then that would disprove the fact. But you see, man cannot stop what God has spoken. And he has done everything with his power to try to disprove the fact that Christ is alive. But every time he's tried to disprove, all it's done is given greater proof that God is true. That his word is true and it can be proven over and over and over again. Come on, would you bow your heads all over this place today? I thank God today that we've proven and told you that God's word is truth. But here's the real question today. Will you choose to make it the truth of your life? 
Will you choose to make it the truth of your life? Will you believe it personally for yourself and for your future? Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray for everyone in this place right now. God, I pray today as we've discovered the truth of your word, that we would realize, God, the truth that your word holds for each and every one of our lives. That, God, when we study, when we follow it, when we live by it, we'll know great truth and freedom for our lives. God, I pray that everyone in this place today would realize the awesome gift that we have. That, God, we would read it like never before. Come on, God, that we would fall in love with it, to learn it, to live it. That we would embrace it again. We'd grab hold of it. We would value it. We would cherish it. We would live it. We would read it. God, and every time we read it, we would say, God, I want to see you today. Show me you today. Show me your truth. Show me your comfort. Show me your peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just keep your heads bowed right now. The theme of the Bible is Jesus. The subject of the Bible is Jesus. The verb is gave. That he gave. The whole Bible is about him giving himself. And surrendering himself. And making himself available for each and every one of us. So what? So we can know Jesus. And we can now give him our lives. I wonder today if there's anyone here that would say, Pastor, I want to give God my life. Every head is bowed and eyes closed. That's you right now. I'd love you to lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I I want to give my life to Christ. I I want to make sure. I, I want to know. I want to give him my life. Is there anyone today that you would say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. There's some hands that's gone up. Come on. Is there anyone else? Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Could we all stand to our feet right now? Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Come on, I'm going to pray for those that have lifted their hands today. And I want everyone in this place just to pray this prayer with them. Would you pray this prayer? Would you say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you right now for saving my soul, for coming into my life, for changing me, for transforming me. And dear Jesus, right now, I surrender everything to you. I give my whole life to you. And from this day forward and forevermore, you will be my Lord and Savior. And I thank you, Jesus, for hearing my cry and forgiving my sins. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you shout amen in the house?